This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. I wish for myself many times that I would be more expressive in my love and my worship for Jesus. But when it comes to experience, there is far less freedom and for good reason. Again, I said it before, we are When we experience a spiritual or emotional experience, we need to know whether or not that came from God, whether or not that came from us, or whether or not that came from outside of us and outside of God, because all of those three things happen. The lights are dim. The band is playing your favorite worship song. A feeling, a sense of God's presence comes over you. Today, Pastor Josh certainly affirms these experiences that we have while encouraging each of us to ask an important question. Do I worship God for the experience or because He's God in heaven? This is an important question. Pastor Josh will challenge you to take all of your experiences to the Word of God. Let the Word of God be the litmus test for your walk with Christ. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 as he continues his message, Doctrine, False Doctrine. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit still actively speaks to his church today? Absolutely. Do we believe that the Holy Spirit uses the gift of prophecy in the church today? I don't know if you do, but I certainly do. Because Paul said, don't despise prophecies. The prophetic word is both the foretelling and the forthtelling of God's logos, of his written word, of his living word. Let me ask you this. If a proclaimed, self-proclaimed or ordained apostle writes a new book or gives a prophetic word on television or on the internet about the church, should those words be added to our Bible? Okay, I, I got a lot of no's. Yet there is a movement today that is marked by the very belief that the modern day apostles operate in the same function and in the same office As the apostles, Peter, John, the apostles appointed by Jesus and Paul. And that has certain implications. In the early 1990s, a new wave of theology started rolling through mostly charismatic and Pentecostal churches in North America. And it was carried by this idea that the early 2000s marked an apostolic awakening. They believe that the office of apostles and prophets as described in Ephesians chapter four was not in practice as it should be and that God was raising up, reaffirming, reinstituting apostles and prophets like the apostles of old to guide and lead and declare truth to the church in this day and age. Okay, my ears are open. How do they define? Now this movement doesn't have a specific name. One of the early fathers of this third wave movement, Uh, his name's Peter Wagner. He coined a term called the New Apostolic Reformation. They don't call themselves that, but he kind of coined that term. And he wrote a book about defining what these roles are. And here's why it concerns me. Look at this with me. He wrote that apostles, quote, can give new divine revelation, but their distinct task is the implementation of the new divine revelation. Speaking of prophets, he says, prophets, quote, receive 
the new divine revelation. Okay, so the language is a little weird to me. It's a little foreign to my background. Okay, I'll I'll give them the benefit of the doubt. What do they mean when they say new divine revelation? Well, then he gets to the role of pastors and teachers. That's, That's me, apparently. He says, pastors and teachers do not generally receive new divine revelation. Thus, their roles are limited, listen, to teaching the new revelation that has been received by the apostles and prophets and the older revelation contained in the Bible. Now, that kind of language causes a real yellow flag to say, I need to understand why someone would even suggest that my job is to teach the old revelation of the Bible and to teach the new revelation, basically putting them on par in scope of authority or divine inspiration. I believe there's good reason for us to believe biblically that the modern-day role of apostle is uniquely different today than it was by the apostles, for the apostles that Jesus himself chose and selected. Paul, being one of those apostles, even wrote of this. He was visited by the resurrected Jesus. He was going through the lists of the apostles, how they were visited by the resurrected Jesus. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 8 and 9, he said, Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time, for I am the least of the apostles. We might call those the capital A apostles. So Paul says, I am an apostle. I do have the authority of the Spirit in the church. He did have the authority that what he penned was Scripture inspired by God. But he said, I was the last one that Jesus appeared to. And I was born out of due time. And I believe that, that when he said our, the foundation of our faith is built on the apostles and the prophets, that he was closing that sense of that specific authority. Now, I do believe the apostolic authority exists. People who plant churches, who start movements, people who have wide areas of influence over many pastors, this is a special gifting. It's a special calling unique in the body of Christ, and it's important in these days but I think it's very dangerous to state that we can have new divine revelation by apostles of equal authority to the early apostles that can be taught on par with the old revelation of God's word. That scares, that that frightens me enough to say, you know, I'd rather not introduce that stuff. I just would rather stay away from that. Even if it's that they're skirting the edge so close. On top of this, many proclaimed apostles and prophets in modern day times have long records of false prophecies. You guys, we give Jehovah's Witnesses a hard time for all their laws, their, their false prophecies about when Jesus would return and all these sorts of things. We give Mormons a hard time about their living apostles and the authority that they carry. We give the Catholics a hard time about the Pope being the vicar of Christ, but we give all those prophets and apostles in our movements grace when they false prophesy because they say they believe in the Apostles' Creed. Well, we believe Jesus. He died on the cross. He rose again from the... That's what we believe. Oh, they must be legitimate. You guys, the Old Testament had very strict ramifications for people who spoke in the name of God. If you were going to say, thus saith the Lord, you better be sure it's the Lord because if it doesn't come to pass, you get stoned. From Benny Hinn's declaration that Fidel Castro would die in the 1990s, Thus saith the Lord, Kenneth Copeland's prophecy that the, of the end of COVID, 
and the false prophecies of so many people in between. Again, just be cautious, church. Paul tells us the signs of the apostle, the true apostle, (laughs) with all humility and suffering, persecution, not making names for themselves, not fleecing the flock of God off of prophecies. And again, I don't mean to offend anybody here. I'm just saying the way that we test prophets and apostles, God has given us a litmus test. He has given us his word. We are safest when we operate within the boundaries of his word. A few other doctrines that come out of this that you need to be aware of. You will hear things like that Jesus, Jesus ceased, laid aside all of his divine attributes and was a man. While it's true that Jesus intentionally subjected himself to human weakness, he never ceased to possess the full nature and authority of God. Never. And what this builds on, and you'll hear this a lot, is that while Jesus was just a man and he did everything by the power of the Holy Spirit, and so we're just men and women, and so we should do everything by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means that we should be able to do everything Jesus did. That's the, that is the logic that they follow. When the Bible is perfectly clear, I'm sorry to break this to you, there's only one Jesus and you are not him. Didn't Jesus say that greater works than, than these my followers will do. Yeah, absolutely. That they'll pick up snakes, that they'll drink poison and it won't hurt. Yeah, absolutely. We're not having snake handling or poison drinking in the communion to, you know, next week. Why? Because Jesus was saying, as my spirit fills the church and as they go out into the world united in the power of the spirit, greater impact, greater miracles, greater things will be done than what was done in the scope of Galilee. He wasn't saying every one of you should prophesy, every one of you should heal the sick, every one of you should raise the dead. In fact, Paul would ask a rhetorical question to the Corinthians. Are all prophets, do you all prophesy? No. Or do all have the gift of miracles? No. But we're what God distributes to each according to his will. I want you to know something about me in case you don't know it. I believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the church today. I believe there's a lot of dead religion out there that doesn't welcome or invite him because they're scared of what he might do. I believe in signs and wonders and miracles. I believe in healing and resurrection power. I believe in the greatest miracle of salvation. The more I become a pastor, the more I'm amazed by it, that God can take a wicked human heart and turn it around to desire the things that that God desires. It's a complete miracle. I want to see an outpouring of the Spirit in the church. I've studied quite in depth the Welch revival of 1904, in which a great movement of God's Spirit was poured out. A young man named Evan Roberts received a vision. The Lord would save 100,000 souls. And he preached a message to 17 people that they needed to get honest with God about their hidden sin, on honor Christ and repent. Within six months of that sermon being preached, 100,000 people came to Jesus. Pubs closed because alcoholism dropped by 75%. Police officers formed singing choirs to go from church to church because there was no crime for them to be busy with. 
One pastor from London got word of what was going on, and he came to, a, uh, came to Wales and talked to another pastor who was ex- experienced part of, this, part of this movement. He said, what is going on? How often do you guys have church? Every day? From 6 to 10? How do you keep people ch- in church all night? No, no, from 6 a.m. to 10 p.m. And your churches are full every day? Yeah, well, you mean all the churches come together to your church to meet together? No, every church is full. What happens? People are on their knees, repenting of their sin, receiving power, going out, living completely transformed and changed lives. I tell you what, man. Don't touch me and make me fall over and laugh uncontrollably and bark like an animal. Give me that. I don't need some momentary emotional experience to convince me of the power. I don't need something that Paul didn't even experience. Just give me the Holy Spirit that changes lives, that makes you holy, that gives you supernatural courage, and that works miracles, and that heals. And you get what I'm saying, though? And that is where I'm concerned about my last and final point Again, I I warned you guys that this might be the one. I warned you. I believe that the New Age influence in the church has grieved the Holy Spirit from truly working among us. Paul tells us, do not quench the Spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, and hold fast to what is good, and abstain from every form of evil. Final point here, stick with me. In the Apostles' day, the Gnostics created their own blended form of Christian Gnosticism. They taught that Jesus was sort of a spirit guide and only appeared to be human. It was more like self-discovery and meditation and secret revelation. Gnosticism, by the way, is still in practice today. On a modern Gnostic website, I took this quote off of how they practice their Gnosticism. They write, spiritual and mystical practices include working with life questions through meditation, Silence, concentration, self-observation, out-of-body experiences, dreams, and other spiritual techniques that aid in achieving a transcendental knowledge about destiny and death while still being embodied on earth. What I fear is that I see that very statement dressed up in spiritual language being practiced in churches everywhere today. This is why Paul warned to the church of Corinth. Do you remember last week? If anyone brings to you another spirit than you have received, do not receive it. Well, how does the Holy Spirit work? The same way he's always worked. How he worked in the early church. And thankfully, the Holy Spirit ensured that we have it recorded in Scripture. Paul spends many chapters specifically discussing how the Spirit moves and works among believers and how he doesn't. And I hate to see it that the many churches that are full of Jesus-loving people today are attributing things to the Holy Spirit that are not demonstrated in the halls of Scripture. And here's the argument I hear all the time, and it still hasn't convinced me. Well, we don't want to limit God. We don't want to put boxes. We don't want to box in God from what the Holy Spirit wants to do. But my, my argument to that is, what if the Spirit himself put his own limitations for our sake? What if the Bible puts limitations, prohibitions, and acceptable practices so that we know it's him? True or false? Human beings tend to latch on an experience, an emotional experience. Yes or no? 
We all do, let's be honest. If we like an experience, we will tend to say, wow, that was good, that must have been God. I feel closer to Jesus, so it couldn't have not been God. When emotions can dictate to people what is true and what is false rather than the litmus test of his word. And I would lovingly exhort you guys to go back to the word. The Holy Spirit has limited himself. And just a few examples. 1 Corinthians 14 is a chapter all about spiritual gifts and how they should be operated and practiced. And Paul says, let all things be done decently and in order. Is that a limitation? Yes or no? Yes, it is. A God-ordained Holy Spirit limitation. In other words, the Holy Spirit was saying, you know what? I'm not going to do something that creates an environment in the church that doesn't have decency and order. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, let all things be done for edification. That's the Holy Spirit saying, I'm not going to do something in a church that someone leaves and they're not exhorted or edified. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Holy Spirit saying, I'm not going to cause people to walk out confused about what they just experienced or what they just saw. I'm going to close this with two words. Um, Would you say these words with me? Because they're very important. Expression and experience. Let me tell you briefly the two, I say briefly, that doesn't really mean briefly. It just means I want you to keep listening to me. The difference here, expression, I believe, means that God gives us a lot of liberty and freedom to express our worship differently within his biblical boundaries. For instance, some churches prefer to dance. Other churches prefer to stand. Do you know that both are acceptable in the scripture? Some wave banners and lift their hands. Some clap to songs. Some try to clap to songs. Some have music. Some have just singing. Some are modern. Some do hymns. Some are loud. Some are quiet. Some, are, some people are very emotionally charged. Others are somewhat stoic. As long as the heart is right and it's within the boundaries of God's word and his word and his, his person and the spirit are being honored, I think the Lord's given us a lot of freedom of expression in how we worship. And I think we shouldn't judge each other for that. In fact, I wish for myself many times that I would be more expressive in my love and my worship for Jesus. But when it comes to experience, there is far less freedom, and for good reason. Again, I said it before, we are, when we experience a spiritual or emotional experience, we need to know whether or not that came from God, whether or not that came from us, or whether or not that came from outside of us and outside of God. Because all of those three things happen. And so we need to judge our experience by God's word. Again, I said it before, I don't mean to impose my personal convictions on you, but logically I say, man, if Paul didn't need that experience to be close to Jesus, then I certainly don't need it. Well, Josh, there's no way that we could know everything that Paul experienced. You're right. And the stuff that God wanted us to know, he wrote it down for us. And I I just feel safer there. So if you are wondering why, Josh, why 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 aren't you being open to the Spirit? You know, why aren't you letting us, why don't you touch people and they fall over? Are you close to the anointing 
Josh. No, I just want to be safe. Well, Josh, you don't want to be so safe that you grieve the Holy Spirit. No, I believe with all my heart that if you stay in God's word, you are staying in a place of safety. That's what I believe. That's my conviction. I don't know it all perfectly. I'm still learning. But I say, if it's in scripture, God gives all of it. 100% every single thing. I don't want to put my own opinions on you. I don't want to put my own preferences on you. I don't want to grieve you and quench you with my sin and my close heartedness to what you want to do when we gather, when we worship, when we pray. I want all of it. And I personally think, again, personal opinion, specifying, if I'm going to send my child to a child care, guess what? I scour what's going on there, don't I? Are your, are your workers trained? Are they fingerprinted? Are they background checked? What policies do you have to keep my kids safe? What about the snacks? What about allergies? What about education? What are you teaching them? What are you going to do? I want to know everything. And when I know their safety, guess what? I send my kids. And I think that's how God operates in his church. The minute the church gets dangerous, God puts a warning in his kids' hearts. I don't want you there. And I want to be a place, I want to be a church that God says, you know what? You're, 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 you're grounded in my word, so I'm going to send my kids. And you guys can enjoy my presence and enjoy my work and enjoy my word and enjoy the power of the Holy Spirit and enjoy everything I want to do because I know you're grounded in that truth. And that's just my heart. I want to be clear on that. And so we want to close today by specifying in regards to our doctrine and false doctrine are we believing and following things that honor the person of Jesus, the purpose of the gospel, and the procedures of the Holy Spirit, as Paul warned the Corinthians? And again, none of us have the perfect doctrine, but I think that if that is our heart, if we're longing to be in that place, we can expect God to do some incredibly wonderful and great things among us. And so if you would, let's close in prayer together. Lord, we open our hearts to you. And we thank you, Lord, for the gifts of your spirit, for the way that you work and that you speak and that you transform our hearts and our lives. Lord, we don't want to be those who are weighed down with error that's actually like a weight, like keeping us from fully being used by you in the way that we should. And so, Lord, may we fall in love with you again through the word you've given us. May we search it daily. And may you speak to us through it, the things that pertain to our lives, the decisions we have to make, the places we have to go, the people you want us to reach. And may it guard us and bring security to our thoughts and to our emotions. And Lord, I pray for this flock. I pray for every person in here who is come here today, they might leave with a lot of different opinions or thoughts about the morning, but I pray that most of all, they would leave knowing that you are for them, that you love them, that you gave your life on their behalf, that they might have peace with God. So Lord, we walk in that truth and in your joy, power us, transform us by the renewing of our minds to be conformed into your image. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, we learn about how the Apostle Paul mentored a young pastor friend 
who was working to reach the hearts of the people he was pastoring. Paul was in Rome at the time, and persecution was no stranger to either of these men. Despite all of that, Paul trusted God to use him where he was. He encouraged Timothy to continue spreading the gospel message. We hope today's teaching has inspired you to continue going forward, even when things get hard. God will take care of all your needs. He'll use your gifts and abilities right where you're at, so you can stand strong to love others well. Will you place your faith in God? If you're checking this whole God thing out for the first time and haven't come to know Jesus as your personal Savior, that's okay. But please, please go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to know more about how much God loves you. Here at Grace Church, we want your heart to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Hop online and visit our website, TheAscendingLife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's TheAscendingLife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's it for now. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so, because there's more to learn about God. So be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. We're reaching up, we're pressing in.